John Hansen here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Audrey Anderson is across the desk from me, uh, one of our favorite guests here on the program, juvenile defense attorney Audrey Anderson. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me again. A very important and historic weekend, of course, of rulings. And you and I were just talking, and not to dive too much into the cases, but boy, the Supreme Court's had a lot of major decisions. I mean, they, they, every decision they make is important, but hot-button issues over the past, I mean, literally the past three days. Oh, absolutely. This session, they probably had, I would think, some of the biggest cases that affect the most people mm-hmm. in, the, in the United States than they have in the past. Oh, for sure. And it's going to continue, obviously. We were talking in the last half hour about the ramifications of Roe, and not to dive too deep into it, but... I think that people uh, don't grasp how many other legal decisions have to be made, how many other laws have to be written now. And now with states having different laws, which we have for other things, right, for marijuana, for cannabis, for other things like that, we all have different laws for certain things. But that does present a lot of unique uh, legal problems, right, and challenges for lawyers to figure out. Right, absolutely. It's it's very difficult to see then what laws will stand, and then of course there's always going to be other lawyers to go to try to fight it and challenge it, and then the judges that have to make all these decisions. Right, and uh, yeah, they're kind of going without a net right now because a lot of this law is still yet to be written. I, I gotta, we gotta talk about this story. I've been teasing it all week in terms of like to listen to this the show because. I was kind of blown away by the story of Illinois routinely housing wards of the state in Chicago's jail for kids, juvenile detention facilities. Um, and it's it seems crazy to me. Does this seem crazy? Does this story like pop out to you? It does seem crazy. Unfortunately, being in this in this area of law, I hear this and see this all the time. But if you are just a regular person that doesn't deal with this on a daily basis, it seems outrageous that a kid is actually in the detention center being juvenile jail, really. Mm-hmm. For breaking no law. Right. So initially they could be in there because of a criminal matter, correct? Okay. But then the judge releases them mm-hmm. and they stay detained because they're a ward of the state. So DCFS is their guardian, but there's no place for them to go. Right. So the judge is saying, there's no reason for you to be in jail, but unfortunately there's no place for you to go. So you have to stay in jail until there's something that's suitable for you. Okay. Can we just get some definitions down here? What do you, What is a ward of the state for people that have heard this term for a long time? What makes a child a ward of the state? What would ha- What are some examples of circumstances that that would lead to? So there's a variety, but becoming a ward of the state means that the guardian then becomes the state, which then in turn means the the ward or guardianship goes to DCFS, the Department of Children and Family Services, rather than the child's parent or guardian, mm-hmm. or other adult guardian. And what's ideally supposed to happen? Right. So based upon that, then DCFS is legally responsible for your care, that child's care. So not just physically, mentally, but also with education, housing, everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not the parent's responsibility anymore. So that happens in a variety of ways. In a juvenile abuse and neglect case, the parent's guardianship or their supervision is terminated while the parents are undergoing treatment or something to help correct the situation that they were brought to court in the first place. Or sometimes in a criminal case, the parents just don't want to take the child back home. So they just refuse to pick them up. So then DCFS now has to become the guardian for this child and make all the legal decisions for that child. It's got to be difficult, right? And we've talked about funding for DCFS. And we've talked about how they're, they're, they're stretched thin. And in this ideal situation, though, DCFS would, what do they have facilities where they can have kids there? Do they try and find foster parenting? Is that a whole different system? Like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is a child becomes a ward of a state through very unfortunate circumstances. What is the goal? 
I guess, with that child? Where are they supposed to go? Right. So it used to be years ago that there were just these huge residential homes where kids were just thrown into. But more than five, not quite 10 years ago, the shift was to not necessarily place them into just huge wards with all these kids, teenagers, but rather to place them into a more nurturing environment. Right. So they shut down all those homes, but they didn't really quite keep up with where else to place them such as traditional foster placement. So a relative or some sort of family or friend that's considered a family or just traditional foster care. Within the circle of their life already. Correct. So you pick someone that they already are known to and have a relationship with, a relative or a family friend that they can go to, or just traditional foster care. It's complete strangers take that child home. Mm-hmm. But the issue with these kids that are still stuck in detention in juvenile jail is because they have other issues going on. Perhaps they have mental health issues, uh, behavioral issues, so they're too aggressive to just go to a regular home where a parent or another adult's not qualified. They have substance abuse issues, so they need to go to not just a home, but they need to go to an environment that can deal with a child acting out, a child who has perhaps mental health issues, a child who is perhaps autistic and needs some sort of other um, care. I think the story and just the circumstances you're presenting are so sad to people that they, I think we want to turn it off in our brain, right? And we just want to say, there's nothing I can do. And it's so terrible to think about that that's why there isn't maybe this huge outcry for voices for these kids, because I think people want to bury their head in the sand a little about this. And I hate to even say that, but I feel like that might be part of the case. I do think that's part of the case. And also, some person could think, well, how can I, as one person, make a difference? Or how do I even affect change? Right. And here I am sitting here being like, well, more people should be foster parents. But we're talking, as you're saying, some kids that have some very serious issues through no, often no fault of their own. That's not an easy decision. It's not easy to bring in a child like that into your home and just, oh, I mean, in a perfect world, we'd all do it, right? But that just isn't the case, is it? Right. It's not the case because some people may want to help, but perhaps if the child is in there for severe violence or a violence-related crime, you're concerned about bringing that child home. Right. Or if that child is alleged or been found guilty of some sort of sex offense. Well, do you want to, you're concerned about, are you going to be responsible? Or even the time commitment it takes to make sure that you're home for that child all the time or taking the child to all the appointments that they need, counseling, school doctor's appointments, everything else that they may need. I just want to put one brief asterisk on the conversation just to say, for people that are considering being foster parents, there's a lot of wonderful kids too. This is a, we're, we're, we're talking about one specific group of kids. I don't want. I, I would hate for this discussion to lead someone to say, oh, we were close to making that decision, but we're trying to... This is not... Obviously, this is not the vast majority of kids that are going into these programs. Correct, right. This is just a small minority right. of these children that are stuck in jail. But you're right. There are... So many other children that just are in an unfortunate situation, and so they end up stealing or doing something, making a huge mistake, and it costs them. And to become a foster parent, I mean, you just have to go to the DCFS website or some of the other private agencies mm-hmm. that deal with it. And on their websites, it says how to become a foster parent or just Google, how do I become a foster parent in Illinois? And they walk you through the steps. And once you are a foster parent, the agency and DCFS, they provide support for you. They just don't say, good luck. Here's your kid. <laughs> yeah, we'll my... see you when he turns 18. Right. That's yeah. Good to know. So they do give you support. So many people do it and many people are successful at it. Who's advocating for these kids that are in detention well past when they should be? Their guardians ad litem the public guardians, and their defense attorneys. 
Do they have defense attorneys, these kids? Some of them do. If they're in there for a criminal case, they will have that. But a lot of times it's just the part public guardian that what, has to deal with it. What are judges saying? So judges saying, all right, that kid should not be in here anymore. What's the reasoning why some still are? Is it literally that DCFS just says we, we can't put them on the street? Correct, because there's no place to go. There's If they're in a psychiatric hospital, but they're fine, there's no place to put them. There's no shelter if they're in the jail and they need a bed at the psychiatric hospital or a psychiatric or residential inpatient, there's not a bed available. So the judges can order DCFS to do it. And then DCFS says, we can't, we don't have the funding. There's not a bed for that specific child's age, that specific child's needs. Then what? You hold DCFS in contempt, and then what's the contempt? You find them, you throw them in jail, but that doesn't solve the problem. Yeah, boy, this is tough. And this is something that's getting worse, right, this problem? Right, absolutely. So I know people are trying to figure out, well, how to stop the problem to begin with, juveniles committing crimes that bring them in, or parents that do something that lead their child to become part of the abuse and neglect system. But that's still what people have been struggling with for decades. Yeah. Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. We're just getting started. Got another segment after this on WGN. 720 WGN. Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. AndersonAA.com. All right, Audrey, we've been talking about this uh, situation with wards of the state being stuck in juvenile detention long after they were supposed to have been released because there's simply nowhere to go. We identified one problem, and people argue that they used to have these homes, or you said, where there'd be a lot of kids in them and they'd have a roof under their heads, but it wasn't the ideal situation, having tons and tons of kids, uh, often sometimes with, as we mentioned, some issues together under one roof. But there's not an alternative right now. You mentioned one other problem to me, too, right? That's right. making this uh, exacerbating this a bit. Right. So several years ago, you were considered a juvenile when you were um, under 17. So adults were 17 and older. Mm-hmm. So only juvenile court jurisdiction were 16 year olds and under. But then they realize 17-year-olds, you commit a crime, you're charged as an adult, like a felony. You're 17, that's pretty young. So they increase the age for what's considered a juvenile legally. So now it's 17-year-olds and under. So now... And you think, oh, one more, one year, what does that matter? Oh, that's a lot of kids. That is a lot of kids. So now you're including all these 17-year-olds that used to be adults, but now are considered juvenile. So the juvenile courts are required to provide assistance to them. And the goals for juvenile court are different than adult court, where juvenile is for rehabilitation and helping them get better, whereas adult court, there's different funding, and that's not necessarily the goal. The goal is could be punishment, not just helping them overcome their addiction or mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Now, juvenile courts, there's no extra funding just because you've included a whole new group of people these 17-year-olds. Right, because, I mean, juveniles are entitled to their defense, too, right? They get a, get a lawyer, and that requires some funding, I imagine, right? And right. now you have all these other clients that are going to get, I don't want to say pro bono, what's the word for I mean, they're, they're, they're legally allowed to have representation that someone's got to pay for that, right? Right, exactly. And so now you have more kids, you have a higher caseload, you need more public defenders, more guardians, public guardians to look out for their interests. Yeah. It's a depressing topic. Can you solve this in two minutes for us? <laughs> if only. Yeah. Can we end on a positive note? You've got the answer and the answer is eh, no, because that's what makes this hard, right? Right. We're a state that fiscally is not in great shape. I don't think I'm in the wrong to say that, right? I don't think I'm uh, being too controversial when I say something like that. Uh, and we, and there's more and more kids that are, that are going through this and it's tough. And like we were saying earlier, it's 
easy to say become a foster parent, but the realities are it sometimes is tough. But God bless people who who attempt and, and do that. And there's a lot of great outcomes with being a foster parent, of course, as well. What other calls are you getting lately, Audrey Anderson? What's a hot button issue that people are calling you about uh, for your for your guidance? Uh, a lot are just juveniles are just not knowing what to do if a juvenile gets expelled from school or there's an issue with the school or now that summertime, it's just something that's not as serious. You know, kids breaking curfew, getting ordinance violation tickets where the parents go in. And I know we touched on that the last time. That's OK. We've got new listeners every time. So that's true. So a lot of times, you know, they're out past curfew or unfortunately some kid in the summertime gets caught in the park smoking pot or drinking a beer. And so then police departments issue all these tickets. Mm-hmm. They're only punishable by fines. So then the parent takes time off work to go with the juvenile to court, actual adult court, traffic mm-hmm. court, ordinance violation court, and they're paying all these fees just because their kid made a mistake and got caught with someone smoking pot or they themselves were smoking pot or drinking. When it happens in the summer, um, are there any things that if, if, if a student who is, a let's say, a junior going into their senior year, but they're off school property, but they do do something wrong, can there be ramifications still by the school when, when fall comes around? There is because they're still on their honor code. And even if you attend a public school, there's still an honor code and that can affect your being suspended or getting detention once you actually start the school year. Really? Yes. I mean, I used to, I'm trying to remember, I was just such a good kid, I didn't break a single rule, of course. No, but like, maybe like on the sports teams, right? We would sign documents and and in the summer there were practices and you could get barred from marching band practice or something like that if you broke a rule. I didn't realize that school districts also can expel you or suspend you based on what happens in the summer. Unfortunately, they can, yeah. But you're right, it also affects sports and other activities through the school that you won't be able to participate in, even though it has nothing to do with the school. I guess what I'm ultimately driving at is we often, as a kid, boy, the summers were great, right? And as you look back as an adult, you're like, boy, that was a lot of fun. And there is sort of this like rebellious sort of spirit around the the idea of summer, especially seniors. And it's it's their last summer before college. And not advocating for making these sorts of mistakes, but let's just be honest, kids in the summer with some more free time, their parents are working all day, there's maybe more prone opportunities with all this free time for kids to make these mistakes. And one mistake, I mean, I guess it depends on what the mistake is, but generally speaking, one mistake a kid makes has huge ramifications. And someone like you, just to at least advocate for them, can help limit the damage, I guess you could say. Right, exactly. You're right, because all these kids, it's summertime, so they're free from rules, school rules, Mm -hmm. or the curfews or restrictions from their parents are less. So there's consequences. They just want to blow off a little steam, especially seniors graduating from high school. But they're also in jeopardy for college. What if they had some sort of scholarship? Again, that could be called into question. Right. And then also, if you're talking about seniors, although I was 17 when I graduated because I'm a summer birthday, but most of them are 18. And then that represents an entire shift, doesn't it? Right. It definitely does. So then they're charged as an adult, which is completely different. Do you think that every parent should be talking to their 17-year-olds? I mean, everyone should always be telling kids what to do, what not to do, or at least recommend things. But should 18-year-olds, before they turn 18, be explained to what the differences are in their lives when that date approaches? I think so, too. But obviously, you don't want to do it in a way that's scary or overwhelming. But yeah, they should know that once you hit this magical age of 18, 
yeah, the world opens up to you, but then the consequences are a hundredfold. Right, exactly. I mean, they, we're talking about life. I mean, these, this can happen before you're 18, lifelong uh, ramifications, but truly lifelong ramifications. Where can people, who, who should be reaching out to you, I guess I should say, Audrey? Probably any parents or any adults, juvenile that has any issues, criminal issues, issues with DCFS, abuse, neglect, definitely reach out to us through our website, AndersonAA.com. For sure. Audrey, it's always good to see you. You too. Thanks again. We'll do it again soon. And we'll take a break then, wrap things up here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association on WGN.